Hello and welcome to our next podcast on the end times. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 24, verses 26 to 35. And God's word says, Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in his secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. The title of our podcast, of our message today, is The End of the Tribulation and the Fig Tree Time Clock. That is the end of the tribulation and the fig tree time clock. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen to 20 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. We have been directly called by our Lord to teach future disciples to observe all that Jesus commanded his first disciples. And included in the things Jesus commanded us to know and teach are instructions like those found here in our passage in Matthew chapter 24. And those are instructions of the prophecies of the very end. And when we devote ourselves to understanding prophecy, our obedience brings its own reward apart from whatever we might learn. There are specific blessings promised to those who read and heed the book of Revelation. For example, blessed is he that readeth, they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Revelation 1, three. So let's look at Christ's coming and judgment. Matthew twenty four twenty six to 27 Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. When he comes, there will not be any John the Baptist to announce him. But when he comes, the whole world will know it, and it will be as public as lightning. Now, we know by living in Florida, to those, uh, to those that live in Florida, that we cannot miss a lightning storm. When it comes, everybody knows about it, and sometimes it is a, it is a frightening experience. The Lord's second coming to the earth will be like that, but much greater. No one will need to announce his coming. No one will be able to miss his coming. When our Lord comes the second time to establish his kingdom on the earth, everyone will know he is coming. Matthew twenty four twenty eight. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. 
This is the most difficult verse to understand, I believe, in the entire Olivet Discourse. After speaking of his coming in glory like lightning out of heaven, then to speak of carrion eating birds seems strange. But I believe it most likely refers to Christ's coming in judgment because Revelation 19 tells us about an invitation that went out to the birds to come together for a great banquet. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of the heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Revelation nineteen seventeen to 19. Now let's look at immediately after the tribulation. Matthew twenty four twenty nine to 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So far, Jesus has given signs that happen in the earliest period of tribulation, like lawlessness and love growing cold. Then he moved to the events at the midpoint of the tribulation, like the abomination in the temple. And now Jesus moves to the very end of those seven years and immediately after. And at that time, the signs will become undeniable. They will be unescapable, as the very heavens themselves are made to disappear. In verse 29 of Matthew 24, Jesus says that the sun will stop shining. And of course, as a result, the moon will also go dark. Beyond our solar system, the stars in the universe will fall, meaning they will no longer be visible either, or they will literally fall. Obviously, the sun provides us daylight. But at night, we keep our world lit with technology. Our houses remain lit, and our streets and businesses are illuminated. So we tend to take light for granted. But we know that after seven years of disaster after disaster, the world will most likely no longer be industrialized. There will likely be no electrical grid or infrastructure, or very little. The earth will likely have been reduced to the most basics of living. The book of Revelation and elsewhere describe men living in caves and under rocks by this time in the tribulation. So we could probably assume that the only light the world has at the end of the tribulation is the light produced by the sun in the day and the moon and stars by night. But then there comes a moment when all light sources cease and the world will be plunged into utter and complete darkness. Can you imagine the horror that would add to those who are already living a real-life horrific nightmarish existence? This is a darkness that few of us have ever known unless you've gone into an underground cave. When you are in a cave, you expect total darkness. But when you are standing outside, when it should be daylight and you experience this, it will be utter horror. Then out of this utter darkness, the world sees a bright sign in the sky. Out of this intense darkness, this darkness where you cannot see literally anything, 
You cannot see the fingers in front of your eyes if you held them right in front of your face. Out of this intense darkness, the world receives one final sign of Jesus coming as a bright sign appears in the sky. The Lord just turned off all the lights in the universe so that his light would be the only thing, the only light visible. And out of this intense darkness, the world witnesses the return of Jesus Christ and the church and the angels following him. What a dramatic scene that will be. But notice Jesus says that his arrival leads the tribes of the earth to mourn as they see Jesus coming in power and glory. Jesus uses the odd term tribes of the earth to contrast with the tribes of Israel. The tribes of Israel will not be mourning this moment because they will be celebrating their Lord's return. As we learned earlier, the Jew who endures to the end of the tribulation will be saved in his flesh, Jesus said. But the tribes of the earth, meaning all unbelieving Gentiles, will not be celebrating because the Lord's return brings their judgment. Jesus' return brings different things to different groups of people. To the Jews, the Lord brings faith and redemption. And along with the believing Gentiles, he delivers the promised kingdom. But to the unbelieving Gentiles on earth, the Lord brings judgment. Now a final sign. And then as a final sign to those waiting for Jesus on earth, the Lord says there will be a great gathering accomplished by the angels. The Lord will send angels to gather the elect, all Jews, wherever they may be, left in that day and assemble them in Jerusalem. This is necessary because the Old Testament promises that all Jews will be assembled in the promised land for the kingdom. The elect will be assembled by angels, and the unsaved on earth will be mourning their fate as they witness Jesus coming in glory. There will be nothing subtle about the signs of Jesus' return. You could not miss it. The Lord does not intend for anyone to miss his son's coming into his kingdom. Many missed his first coming in the day that that happened. And in the centuries that have followed, many more have ignored the news. Today, many are living as if there is no God and there will be no judgment, despite the evidence to the contrary in the word of God. But a day is coming, and the signs tell us that day is drawing close, when every knee will bow, when every tongue will confess. It will not be possible to ignore the signs of Jesus' second coming or to deny the event. You will either be with Jesus at his coming, or you will mourn his arrival as you witness it from earth. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ now, while the window of opportunity is still available, then you can be part of his return. But if you reject him now, you will see him face to face one day, and in that day the Bible says you will mourn his appearing. So now let's look at the parable of the fig tree. Matthew 24 32 to 34. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Throughout this discourse, Jesus has been giving signs that announce certain events like the end of the age or his return. Throughout the Olivet Discourse, he's been giving us signs that announce events like the end of the age or his return. At the very end, he sums up everything with one major sign that will tell us when the end times are set to begin. 
And he also adds a promise to assure us that these events will be completed as promised. He starts with a parable of a fig tree coming out of its dormant phase at the end of winter, when it appears dead because it has no leaves. It is truly not dead, of course, but to our eye, it appears as good as dead, until the leaves emerge in spring. And when the leaves show up, we know that means summer is right around the corner and fruit will be found on it soon. In that way, the leaves of a fig tree could be considered a clock of sorts. If you had no idea what month it was, you could tell summer was near by watching a fig tree blossom. Jesus chose to use a fig tree for this parable because a fig tree is a classic representation of Israel in the Bible. So let's look at God's prophetic time clock. Jesus is saying in his parable that Israel will serve as God's clock to tell us when the end times are here or approaching or when they're near. For a time, Israel will appear lifeless. It will appear dead because a nation will be outside its land for centuries and many will conclude it's dead. Israel is dead. But when Israel comes back to life, so to speak, then we can know that the end times are approaching. In effect, Israel's return as a nation on the world stage is the first sign that the end has come or that the end is getting near. In this parable, Jesus connects the nation of Israel's return to life with end-time events by a unique promise found in verse 34. He says that this generation will not pass away till all these things take place. Let's read those verses again, verses 32 to 34. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass, till all these things be fulfilled. Let's take a look at some dry bones now. Let's take a look at some dry bones. So the dry bones and a fig tree. In a way, the parable of the fig tree here in Matthew 24 is an extension or an additional promise of fulfillment of the vision of the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel chapter 37. We need to take a look at Ezekiel 37 to help us get a fuller understanding of this parable here in Matthew 24. Now, interpretations of this chapter in Ezekiel chapter 37 concern the future restoration of Israel. The same thing that the parable of the fig tree is talking about and using to let us know the end times time clock or countdown has started. Now, Ezekiel 37, 1-2 says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were a very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. Notice this valley that Ezekiel saw was filled with dry bones. And a thing which characterized them is that they were very dry, and they were scattered, and it says there were many. Now, Ezekiel 37, 3-8. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to, to enter you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and shall bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live. 
and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Here we have a system, or a method, or a process I would like you to notice. The first state of the bones is that they are scattered, dry, and dead. Then gradually they come together, and the sinews and flesh come upon them. This is a process. It does not happen instantaneous at all. At this point in the vision, all you have is a bunch of bodies, actually corpses. They are now bodies, dead human bodies, but there is not breath in them. There is no life in them. Now Ezekiel 37, 9-10. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Ezekiel spoke, and life came into these bodies. What happened here resembles the creation of man in Genesis. God took man of the dust of the earth. Ezekiel started with bones, dry bones, dead bones, scattered bones. But God started with just the dirt of the earth, and then he breathed life into man. Now notice the three stages. Notice this process. What happened to these bones happened in a process that involved three definitive stages. Number one, they were scattered bones, just as dead as they would, could be. They were scattered bones, just as dead as they could be. Number two, then they came together, and flesh and skin came upon them. They were bodies now, but they were dead bodies. They had no life in them. They had no breath in them. And then number three, finally, they were made alive. Seeing and understanding these three stages is the key to understanding this prophecy in Ezekiel 37 concerning the nation of Israel. Now verses 11 to 14 of Ezekiel 7 explain the meaning of the vision. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves. O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. The people in captivity had gone from one extreme to the other. As long as Jerusalem stood and the false prophets continued to say they would return, they maintained a false hope. Now that Jerusalem had been destroyed at this point, they go to the other extreme. They say, we have no hope. They felt utterly hopeless. This vision is being given to them to let them know they do have hope. For with the Lord, there is always hope. With the Lord, we always have hope. Jesus is our hope. He is our anchor of hope. So now let's look at verse 21 of Ezekiel 37. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether they be gone, and will gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land. 
This is what God meant in verse 12 when he said, I will cause you to come up out of your graves. Israel is buried in the nations of the world, and they are to be brought back and become a nation again. And as this happens, the fig tree is putting forth her leaves. I think you're seeing the linkage to a parable of the fig tree in Matthew 24. Remember the three stages of the bones? They are key to understanding the future of the nation of Israel. Number one, they were scattered bones, just as dead as they could be. Number two, then they came together, and flesh and skin came upon them. They were bodies, but they were dead bodies. And number three, finally, they were made alive. We are witnesses to this prophecy being fulfilled. Just as we are witnesses to seeing the prophecy of the fig tree in Matthew 24 being fulfilled. They are both prophecies concerning the same thing. We are seeing the leaves of the fig tree spring forth, and we are seeing those dry bones getting reassembled. The nation of Israel was buried and scattered in the nations of the world and was dead to God, dead to the things of God, appeared dead to the world. A fig tree in winter without leaves appears dead. That's the first stage of the bones that we saw, scattered, appeared dead. Now since 1948, they have come back as a nation, but it is really a corpse today. They have a flag, they have a constitution, they have a prime minister, they have a defense force, they even now have Jerusalem. They have everything except spiritual life. They are dead spiritually. They have bodies, but no spiritual life. They are dead spiritually. This is symbolized by the second stage of the bones, bodies, but without life. This is where Israel stands today. Stage two of that Ezekiel 37 prophecy. They have bodies. They are assembled. They're coming back together. They have these bodies, but that that life, that spirit is not in them. Ezekiel chapter 36, 26 to 28 addresses this third stage and its yet future fulfillment. A new heart also I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. This national spiritual renewal has not happened yet to Israel. And this will not happen till the end of the tribulation, which Paul speaks of in Romans eleven, twenty-five to twenty-seven. For not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, and so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. So now getting back to the parable of the fig tree, leaving our look at the dry bones in Ezekiel, now let's get back to our parable of the fig tree and its meaning for us in our study. So theories as to what the parable of the fig tree means to us. Look at verses 32 to 34 again in Matthew 24. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and put forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. 
Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass, till all these things be fulfilled. Now there are three basic interpretations of this. Number one, a common interpretation says that once Israel became a nation, the end times would play out within a generation. But it's been 74 years since Israel became a nation. Second common interpretation of this, it says Jesus was speaking of the generation alive in the tribulation that this generation will not die before the end. But that's a pointless statement since Daniel already told us the tribulation is just seven years, which is far less than a generation. There would be no reason for Jesus to give us his promise if he merely was repeating Daniel's timeline. Then there is another theory, and is that, that this word, and then there is another theory, and that is that this word generation in Matthew 24 does not mean generation but it really means a people group, or the nation of Israel as a whole, this would possibly fit our context and fit within the framework of the Bible. Now let's discern the interpretation. Let's figure out what seems the best interpretation. Now 1 Corinthians 2.13 says, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So let's, let's dig in here. Let's compare with other Bible passages and figure out what's going on in this parable, specifically referring to this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Let's figure this out. First, to arrive at the interpretation of the parable of the fig tree, let's compare Scripture with Scripture. We we do this all the time. We reference 1 Corinthians 2.13 all the time in this podcast and all the time in our church. We're always mentioning, comparing, And emphasizing we need to compare scripture with scripture. We need to compare spiritual things with spiritual things. So to arrive at this interpretation to the parable of the fig tree, let's compare scripture with scripture. Let's compare spiritual things with spiritual things. Then after we do that, we will be in a much better place to discern which theory seems to fit the text, fit the immediate context, fit the overarching theme of the Olivet Discourse, and agrees with other references in the Bible about the subject. Of the three possible interpretations as to what the parable of the fig tree means, we've already dismissed one of them, interpretation number two, right away. So we have two possibilities left. Number one, a common interpretation says that once Israel became a nation, the end times would play out within a generation, but it has been 74 years since Israel became a nation. And then the other one, the other theory is that the word generation in Matthew 24 does not mean generation but it really means a people group or the nation of Israel as a whole. This would possibly fit our context and fit within the framework of the Bible. So to help us discern the best interpretation of this passage, it would be helpful to see how the Bible defines a generation. I think that will be the key to help us understand this. I think once we do this, uh, we can see if the first interpretation is plausible or not, and we can see if the second interpretation makes sense or not. So, to get this definition of a generation, we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 15 and look at verses 13 to 16. Genesis 15, 13 to 16 says, And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and they shall serve them, and they shall flick them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, And afterward they shall come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. 
But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Now as it says, they shall afflict them four hundred years. Then in verse 16, but in the fourth generation. In this passage, you have God telling Abraham that his seed will be strangers in a land and will serve those in that land for 400 years. God also tells Abraham that in the fourth generation they will come out of that land and will make their way back into the promised land. So in this passage, God equates a generation with a time period of 100 years. So if we go back to Matthew 24, 34, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass, till all these things be fulfilled. If we apply that definition of a generation God has given us in Genesis chapter 15, that means approximately up to 100 years of time can be inserted into Matthew 24, 34. Our first possible interpretation mentioned the parable of the fig tree, I was telling us that once Israel became a nation, the end times would play out within a generation. Israel became a nation in 1948, and we just saw how the Bible defines a generation for us as 100 years. 1948 plus 100 years is 2048. That's just 25 years away. If this interpretation is correct, it would mean time is winding down. The start of the tribulation is basically within 20 years. So this interpretation is correct. This would suggest to us that the tribulation could start between now and the next 20 to 25 years or so. I am by no means setting a date. Let me be extremely clear on that. I am by no means setting a date. I would be extremely foolish to do so. All we have done is to compare Scripture with Scripture and let the Bible interpret itself. And this is what we have come to. So I personally believe both interpretations have biblical merit, and we should consider both either separately, and perhaps consider that passage as communicating both messages to us at the same time. I wanted to take that look, that cross-reference, just to help us figure out what that generation could mean. And so we determine that generation may mean it's just referring to the nation of Israel as a whole, and that would fit within our context, or that word generation in Matthew 24. Verse 34, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled, could be defined by Genesis 15. And in that case, that generation, that word generation means a hundred years. So our conclusion to this podcast. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Though heaven and earth are deemed the most unchangeable of all things, Yet even these are not so firm as Jesus' prediction of these things concerning the end times. Heaven and earth shall be dissolved, but Jesus says his words shall not be changed, nor shall one tittle of that which he has now delivered fail in any way. That's the promise Jesus is making here. Israel is God's clock, telling us that the end times events have started And that once that clock has started, there is nothing in the universe that can stop the events that follow. Jesus adds that heavens and earth shall pass away as a result of the end times events, but Jesus' word will not pass away. You can be sure that when you see Israel return, everything else Jesus said was coming will in fact arrive. 
So think about that. The seemingly unshakable earth and the vast immeasurable universe surrounding us are here today, gone tomorrow. Yet the simple words printed on the page in front of you in your Bible are more permanent, more certain than anything in all creation. Remember that when you are gazing at a huge mountain, or across an immense ocean, or staring up at the countless stars, if those things leave us in awe now, imagine how we would feel watching them disappear in the blink of an eye. Think of how in awe we should be of God and his unchanging word then. Never forget what is worthy of your dependence, what is worthy of your trust, and is what is not worthy of your dependence and trust. In times when your world is shaken or your peace is broken, when you feel like you're losing control, that's a great time to remember verse 35 of Matthew 24. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. The things of this world that we often trust in for security or stability only have the appearance of certainty. A stable job or a comfortable house or good health or a faithful spouse or a secure retirement plan or even a civil society. All these things appear certain and sure until they are not, and then we wonder where we can find security in this world. And the answer we find in the Bible is that security or that certainty is never found in the world because the world is passing away. And when you see the signs that tell you the end of the age is upon us, that's the world's, that is the worst possible time to seek your security here, as James scolded the church. James 5, 1-3 Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl, for your misery shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. James says, is a sign of biblical ignorance when we live in ways that witness to a trust in this world rather than they trust in God's word. And in Matthew, Jesus has told us to look for signs, to recognize those signs. And when you see those signs and know he is near even at the door. The first and foremost sign is to know that when Israel returns, the end is coming, and that day has already come. So it can be sure that this world will pass away before all is said and done, and Jesus' words will be fulfilled, every last one of them. And that concludes our podcast. That concludes this Word of Truth podcast on the end of the tribulation and the fig tree time clock from Matthew 24, 26 to 35. And before we, we end, I'd just like to mention our church again. I'm the pastor of New Beginning Baptist Church in Palm Coast, Florida. And we had a great weekend this past weekend. We had a wonderful Sunday. We had our missionary come and give us an update. And we're excited to hear his updates, excited to hear how the Lord is working in his life, and his family's life, and his ministry and how the Lord brought all that together. It was incredible to hear his update and the, the testimonies that he shared. We had a great Sunday morning. We had a great service, a great spirit. We had a, a couple join our church this past Sunday. 
a lovely couple. We are excited to have them become a part of our church family. We had a great Sunday night service as well. And again, if you are in the Palm Coast area and you do not have a good Bible-believing church, Bible-preaching church that, that puts the emphasis on God's Word and on God's Son, I invite you to come and join us at New Beginning Baptist Church. We'd love to welcome you into our church, into our church family, and we'd love to have you serve God alongside of us and seek to reach those in our community that are hurting and are lost and show them compassion, making a difference in their lives for now and in eternity. 